0: Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com.
1: Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's
0: comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick and ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, a.k.a. problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15.
1: America's favorite sport has become the latest arena
0: for partisan politics. We discuss the president's statements on the NFL and the relationship between race, politics, and patriotism. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance.
1: Welcome to another episode, everybody. We hope our patrons enjoyed the Ask Me Anything happy hour. Um, so we're glad to be back sober. I do like the cocktail hours, but it's nice to be sharp and a little bit caffeinated when we're, do- we're talking about big things like we are today. Uh, please check out our guest stint on Hellbent podcast. We had a lot of fun, and they're going to be on our show soon. And we would also love for you to re- leave a positive review on Apple Podcast Player if you have a chance. It helps other people find pansy Politics.
0: Today, we're going to talk about the president's speech in Alabama and his continued interactions on Twitter with Kim Jong-un. Our main focus will be the events of the weekend related to sports and race and politics and patriotism. First up, we're going to talk about North Korea, right, Beth? Yes, North Korea now has a nickname for Donald Trump. So I guess two can play this game. Uh, They are calling him Mr. Evil President. Mm. It is succinct. (laughs) Captures a lot. President Trump has said over the past few days that North Korea, quote, might not be around much longer if I mean, the conversation continues in this direction. And North Korea, through um, an ambassador at the United Nations, I think ambassador is probably not the right word, but it's the closest thing that I have said that sending missiles to the United States mainland is becoming inevitable because of the president's language. Here's a thing that I just learned. I saw it in an NBC News article and a Reuters article over the weekend. Both of those articles mentioned at the very end in a standalone paragraph that the United States and South Korea are technically still at war with North Korea because the Korean war ended with a truce, not a treaty. That did not seem like an unintentional mention to me. Mm. I did some research and I saw articles from months ago, mostly from more left-leaning sources talking about the importance of Congress authorizing any military action in North Korea. And of course, my preference is always that Congress authorize any military action anywhere. But I wondered if NBC News and Reuters were not getting at perhaps the president has fairly broad authority with respect to North Korea because of the technical way that the Korean War ended.
1: I thought you said that in your primer. I definitely felt like you taught me that in the n- primer on North Korea that they we were still technically in war because it was a truce, not a treaty.
0: Maybe I did. I forgot it. If I if I did, there are a lot of things swimming around in my brain sometimes. I have a couple. It was things. surprising to me to see that this weekend, though.
1: If threatening um, to annihilate an entire country won't get you off, kicked off Twitter, what will? It's a good question. It's a good question about the violations of
0: terms of service on Twitter. I mean.
1: Because that seems like problematic speech from a president. I mean, the idea that you would get on Twitter and say they might not be around much longer is so mind blowing to me. I would also just like to go on the record that I understand that North Korea is a threat to our country and that um, King Jong-un is a dictator and unstable. But in case it needs to be said, I do not support wiping out millions of people in North Korea and let's be honest, probably South Korea as a result. Just want to make that clear.
0: Well, let's also be honest about the impact this would have on Japan
1: mm.
0: and China and other islands in that region. I mean, nothing, none of this happens in a vacuum. I also I'm not sure about Kim Jong Un's stability. I think he's a creature of his upbringing. Mm-hmm. and. I think that in some ways, especially given this kind of like, look, I don't want to be heard sympathizing with Kim Jong-un. Okay, so that is not my intention. I agree. He's a dictator. He's done horrific things to the people of North Korea. I think his regime should end. However, especially given this kind of language, one can understand feeling that their country is at constant risk and needs to be prepared to defend itself. Is that is that a ridiculous way to look at this? I mean, I I don't know how we move forward in this conflict if we don't start to try to understand where North Korea is coming from here. And look, we're going to have to do that because we have lost our leverage. Like we can Mm -hmm. no longer sit around and say, well, they're never going to be able to do anything anyway. No, they are. They can today.
1: I am not hopeful that that will be the approach of this administration. Yeah, i'm not I'm not hopeful either. Mm. I would like him to at least take this off Twitter. That would be great.
0: It would be or, great, and this is another thing that where are you at John kelly
1: p s <laughs> well,
0: yeah, that's exactly where I was going. I was thinking about this weekend how frequently we hear people say, You know, how does anybody work for Donald Trump, and everyone should leave this administration and This is the kind of situation where I'm grateful that there are experienced, intelligent, thoughtful people continuing to work for this administration. I also wonder what it must be like for them, especially as they try to quietly work with the Chinese government to have this going on in the background. I don't want to overgeneralize, but my limited understanding of Chinese culture is that there is an enormous level of discipline and subtlety um, at work always. I cannot imagine what the Chinese government must think of this conduct.
1: Well, there was a really speaking of people in the administration, there was a really interesting political article, Politico article that we'll link in the show notes that was basically like people are at hunt, headhunters. People are counting down till it's been a year because the, it, I think this sort of institutional idea or sort of cultural thing is that you stay for at least a year or else it doesn't, you know, it looks like you gave up or it wasn't the right decision or something. So everybody's like counting the minutes and trying to stake out their next step. Cause people went out of there after all the last sort of rash of firings. And, you know, we can get into this later. or Maybe this is just this appropriate time to say it. I just don't understand. I mean, he was doing pretty good. His numbers were up. He, people felt like he handled the hurricanes. Okay. Keep your head down, but like, that's not who he is. It's not ever going to be who he is and to like come in here and, you know, the New York Times did that great piece that like, he's devi- like, he thrives on divisiveness. Like he is not a uniter. He's never going to be. And, but like, you know, we had this moment. It was like post hurricanes. Everybody was sort of focused. Everybody, everybody was like, you know, doing okay. Or at least he was. And then he just goes up and just throws a bomb. It's just what he knows how to do. It's yeah. It's the only thing he knows how to do.
0: Well, we also wanted to talk about the hurricanes and all of the suffering happening right now in the
1: United States. Um, Puerto Rico. Oh, God. It's just so terrible. And it just the never ending wave of suffering coming from these stinking hurricanes. So. Puerto Rico endured Hurricane Irma and then Hurricane Maria destroyed 90% of the homes just days after Irma. There are floodwaters, reports of people literally screaming, save me and using lights on their cell phone to try to be vi- um, visible. So people are not only not only re- just completely rescued, but their entire electric grid was destroyed. So they have no electricity, which means water pumps can't work. I read an article that said just hospitals, which, you know, in my town, like during the ice storm and when we had really bad natural disasters, the hospitals are up. Like if it's like a day, it's a big damn deal. And they're saying two to three weeks for just the hospitals to get back online. It's just the, the can you imagine how many people are, um, very ill women giving birth without electricity in the hospitals? It's just mind boggling.
0: And these are Americans mm-hmm. American Mm-hmm. And- citizens. I don't understand why I, th- I saw somewhere the Sunday shows gave minutes to this crisis in Puerto Rico. I mean, this is devastating. There's so much more devastation here in Puerto Rico than there. I mean, not to discount anything that's happened in the mainland of the U.S., but this is a crisis And it's a crisis where people aren't pouring in to help because they can't right now. And there are just mayors working together, trying to make things happen here. I mean, I, it just kills me. Florida and Texas are still recovering and rebuilding. And I wanted to mention this beautiful story that I saw on NBC News about the Lady General Foundation, which is a group of uh, Black women who are working together to recruit volunteers they are bringing in truckfuls of relief items. They're bringing in mobile medical centers and beauty shops and barber shops, and they're just taking care of people. And I can't do justice to all of the quotes that are in this piece, so we'll put it in the show notes, but it was really heartwarming and inspiring to read.
1: We also want to mention that there was a shooting in a Nashville church on Sunday. that killed one and injured seven others. Um, one of the Uh, one of the victims of the event was also beaten with the gun. I don't think we know much about what happened or who did it and why they did it. But, um, we just wanted to say that we were thinking about them and I, you know, we talked about this, I think on the happy hour that we had listened to, um, sister Joan on Oprah's podcast. And she talked about that you should become a prayer. (sighs) And I immediately thought about all these things happening all the suffering around the world and how we it's become, you know, cliche to say, oh, I'm sending my thoughts and prayers. And we all asked, you know, we all say like, well, what does that mean? People don't need thoughts and help with prayers. They need um, help. And I just thought, well, what if we thought about it like this? What if we thought about it that we want to become a prayer for these people? And so I don't, first of all, want to say that Um, I don't want to blow off talking about it because I think awareness can be a part of becoming a prayer for people and saying, I see your suffering, I will do what I can. I feel powerless. And it's, it's, let's not be, let's be honest when it's not directly affecting you, it's easier to turn away. Um, but awareness is important and becoming a prayer can take any kind, all kinds of sort of different manifestations from donations to what you saw, um, on NBC news with that foundation And so I just think that um, I just like the idea of particularly when we are so struck by tragedies affecting um, our fellow humans, that I like the idea of becoming a prayer. Thanks, Sister Joan. You're killing it. We're going to talk
0: in our main segment today about the president's remarks on the NFL from his Alabama speech. But I thought there were other things in that
1: speech worth mentioning. Well, I have something to say, first of all. I do not think it was a speech. I think it was a stream of consciousness moment of verbal diarrhea. That's what I think it was.
0: The president was in Alabama because he is supporting Luther Strange in a primary to fill
1: Jeff Sessions' Senate seat. And opposition in much of his base who wants Roy Moore, who is 10 kinds of crazy. The reason that the president is supportive
0: of Luther Strange, as he himself explained during this event, is that he thought it was so cool when he was making calls to whip votes for the last iteration of a health care repeal and replace that he called Luther Strange, who was on a list that someone gave him as a no. And he said, Luther, I need your support on this health care bill. And, and Luther Strange, according to Donald Trump, said you have it. I've supported you from the beginning. And if you want me to vote for this bill, I will vote for it. A couple things about that. Loyalty. He loves it. He loves loyalty. If I were a citizen of the great state of Alabama, that would read as a negative to me, not as a positive. I also thought the way that Trump talked about other senators in the course of those remarks almost guarantees that people aren't going to want to be cooperative with him in the future because he talked about how he has to make these calls and it's just brutal he calls it brutal over and over that's what he said i call it brutal and and he said that he'll call someone ask for their support on a bill and they'll basically treat him like a fangirl of a celebrity well I want you to have dinner with my wife and my uncle and my cousins, and then we'll have a picnic together and then we'll have breakfast and then maybe we'll talk about it and how exhausting this is for him. There's so much wrong with that. I don't even know where to begin.
1: Governing is so hard. It's you mean it's not you don't get to wave a magic wand and make everything happen. Oh, man. Democracy is hard
0: work. Don't pretend that you don't like it, that people treat you like a celebrity, because that's that's your whole deal. And you're talking about senators like they are fans, not members of a co-equal branch of government. I would be so offended if I was someone who had taken one of those phone calls by the way he talked about it. So I just wonder how that will affect if it will affect things in the long run as far as his relationship with Congress. But this might be a decent moment since we're talking about healthcare. for a, a mini update on Graham Cassidy. Over the weekend, Ted Cruz said that he might not be supporting this bill. And Susan Collins um, affirmed that she's having a hard time getting there, too. So that makes four. If And if, they, ke- yeah, if cause if they kept knows. saying that
1: Paul might move. But then he came on and said, like, I, if they got rid of the block grants, well, that's the whole port of the bill. So I don't think he's going anywhere.
0: I think what he basically said is, well, if it gets back to skinny repeal, I'll vote for that. I don't know what the point of that would be now. And we know that McCain, Collins and Murkowski will vote no on a skinny repeal. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: So that's where that seems to be. There was more lock her up talk from the crowd when the president brought up Hillary Clinton, as he always does. And he responded with you'll need to talk with Jeff Sessions about that,
1: Mm. which I thought Mm. was another.
0: um Stunning display of authoritarianism. I'm going to take some deep breaths over here. Here's my favorite part. If I, if, I don't know if favorite is the right word, but <laughs> a really interesting part to me. The president started talking about the wall because he was clearly in a, a room that wanted to hear about the wall. And he said that the wall is already being built. Sarah, did you know this? The wall is not. being built. What is it being built out of? Well, it's being built now out of things that are already there, and we're just making them better. Is that building? we might make it higher. Who knows? But Mm -hmm. we'll see. And did you know that the wall needs to be see-through? What? Because if the wall is not see-through, you don't know who's on the other side of it. This is something the president just learned last year, he said to the crowd.
1: (sighs) I don't have anything to say to that.
0: I mean, I thought it was
1: hilarious. I just thought it was hilarious. There are all those these are times- my that is my most in, my most infuriating moments with him are when he's like, "Hey, did you guys know?" And like, you know, a substantial part of the population is like, "Yeah, yeah, we already knew that." Sorry if I yelled and yelled alls ears just then. Yeah, we knew that. Like, d- did you see this exchange that somebody had with him about Tom Price's and the private jets? He was like, "You need to check those flights." That didn't happen, and the guy was like. No, it did. I did check my, I did it definitely check flights. <laughs> we checked the flights. No, no, I know, I know. And I'm, I'm sure that that's not what happened. Okay. You just don't get to speak things into reality, even as president of the United States. And so this just, when he is so clueless is when it is most infuriating to me. I almost prefer just blatantly in opposition to to my values to Clueless, although I realize clueless is, well, depends on the situation, less dangerous. Oh, but to just like, did you know? Yes. Anybody who knew has ever watched West Wing knew that dude. It's just, it's, it makes me so mad.
0: See, I think that I think it is amusing because I have all these debates with myself about whether he knows what he's doing and he's purposefully manipulating people for some selfish end or whether he just doesn't have a clue. And I find it so clarifying to watch him stand up there clearly, purposefully manipulating people.
1: I think because the that's answer, what he was doing. I think the answer is truly both. I agree with that. I think both. I think sometimes he in some scenarios, he is very in command. He has a good sense of what moves people and what doesn't. And he is. um manipulative and fearless in a certain way that we haven't seen in politics in his ability, in his sort of drive to make certain things happen. Yeah. So it's politics. Not really... I think he's manipulative governing. Definitely. The answer is clueless.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's not manipulative or clueless. It's both. And it's often manipulative because clueless. Yep. Right. Because he doesn't know how to go for it. He yeah. just takes it back to the turf that he's comfortable. Yeah, He's in. like,
1: okay, well that's fine. So we'll just do it this way.
0: Let's talk about some positive governance before we move on to um, a deeper dive into his comments in Alabama. Who's your compliment for the other side this week, Sarah?
1: My compliment for the other side is Puerto Rico's GOP congresswoman, Jennifer Gonzalez Collin. Um, she has been a passionate advocate for Puerto Rico over the last few days, talking about how the rebuilding will take a titanic effort and um, how much help they're going to need re-establishing the power grid and... Um, Just, I think she's been doing a good job. So keep it up, Jennifer, and with the people of Puerto Rico. Hmm.
0: I wanted to compliment Representative Nikki Antonio of Ohio, who has introduced House Bill 160 in Ohio. I mentioned this on our patrons bonus episode. I've submitted written testimony in support of House Bill 160, which broadens our the Ohio's discrimination laws to be more inclusive and specifically to include sexual orientation and gender identity. I think this is really important work. My testimony was submitted in my capacity as someone who's part of the Ohio business community. And I think there are lots of good economic and non-economic reasons to do this. So thank you representative Antonio for this legislation and for years of work as I understand it um, to advocate for
1: LGBTQ rights. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional support water bottle, and that steamy beetroot. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked to me through these issues, and I sort of channeled his energy and put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now, and there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H E L P.com slash pantsuit.
1: The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit, they don't go together the way I want them to, or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go to for high quality vacation essentials, like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, premium luggage options, and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to Quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. During the president's stream of consciousness, verbal diarrhea, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just what it was, at the strange rally in Alabama, he took a moment to go off on um, Colin, Ka- Colin Kaepernick, a black quarterback for the, who used to play for the 49ers and for months had been kneeling during the national anthem as a sign of silent protest over police brutality and racial injustice. And remark that the NFL owners should fire the sons of bitches or the son of a bitch on their field kneeling and disrespecting the anthem. I think so many things here. First of all, Colin Kaepernick, we can talk about that former protest next. But that had largely died down. There had been some continued conversation, but he had been effectively blacklisted and not rehired by any team. So you weren't going to have Colin Kaepernick kneeling in any anthems this season and then the sort of the the conversation i think everybody had sort of stayed out of it and made it it was him he kind of suffered blacklisting for it there was ongoing sort of discussions about it but it had moved on until the fire until the president just acts as a huge accelerant on this issue and now you have over the weekend 150 plus players in the NFL kneeling during the national anthem sitting out staying in the locker room all together as a team or standing and locking arms as signs of protest of the president's statements.
0: I don't know why he chose to do this. I I don't think he chose.
1: He just blabbers.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say. I understand that he was in Alabama and probably thought, okay, what's the home state thing to do Mm -hmm. here? It's football. Mm -hmm. And then this is what popped out. And then I think he decided to double down on that with the Steph Curry tweets. Yes. So now it's a more deliberate strategy. I think that's how this evolved.
1: Yeah, because then he tweeted the next day about Steph Curry, who had said that he uh, plays for the Golden State Warriors. They are the NFL. No. No. NBA champions and they're, you know, they come to the white house. There's been several controversies about people not wanting to come to the white house, but he had said sort of, I'm not going to come. And so the president got on Twitter and said, well, then you're disinvited. And then um, LeBron James, who is actually the, you know, on an opposing team from Steph Curry said this would a bum. He shouldn't have acted like that. I feel now I feel it's like really important to defend my, my um, player, my fellow player uh, one of my favorite things I read about this was Mandy, one of our listeners on her blog that we'll link in the show, na- show notes, p- p- specifically about the White House invitation was like, it's not your house, dude. <laughs> it's our house. You don't get to treat it like your castle. You just keep people out of, which I thought was so true. I just think, you know, my number one issue with this is I don't think the president should be attacking individual American citizens for their protest, attacking, criticizing, basically drumming up fury at citizens using your presidential bully pulpit is beneath the office it's dangerous and you have more important things to do and as always there's always a relevant tweet from his past twitter feed where he'd like gone after the president obama and said like he doesn't need to talk about the redskins there's more important things to focus on really is that not applicable to the situation right now I agree with
0: the point that the White House is not his castle, for sure. And I think it is interesting to think about the president attacking individual Americans over over their speech and specifically calling for them to be fired. Mm -hmm. Now, something that I want to say, because you know how I am, it bugs me to read all the free speech tweets about this because we're not we're talking about private speech. So NFL players in their forum of the field can absolutely speak and Congress can't make a law regarding that speech. The Justice Department can't prosecute people for that speech. NFL owners could fire people for that speech. Mm -hmm. And I think what is the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think that we always go into these reflexive talking points when it's even a larger and I think more important conversation to say what we're talking about here is not whether they have the right to do this but whether we will support them doing this and wh- whether we will respect their protest.
1: Yeah. And I think that, well, even separate from that, though, first, I don't think the right. Yes, everybody has a right. The owners have a right to not like their form of protest. Look, and I, I've said this before. I don't think Colin Kaepernick thought I bet everybody's going to love this and it's not going to affect my life at all. He made a choice. He made a choice to protest, and that's been a point I've seen made over and over again. It's not like I retweeted a tweet from Ta-Nehisi Coates that was like, it wasn't like Muhammad Ali was polling at 80% when he was protesting the war. People were furious, and people were furious when Rosa Parks sat down on the bus, and people were furious when Martin Luther King protests. Protest, by its mere definition, is going to make some people mad, and you have an absolute right to speak out against that form of protest and to use your private dollars or whatever you want to do To make your voice heard. Yes. But I don't think those same rules apply when you're the president. I think different rules apply to you. And the idea that you just get to mouth off and use your bully pulpit, um, which was given to you by the votes of American citizens to intimidate other Americans is no, I don't think that's okay.
0: It was a really revealing moment, too, because what the president said was, wouldn't you like wouldn't you Alabama sports fans like to see an NFL owner? say, get that son of a bitch off the field and, and then say, you're fired. And then he ramped up his tone to kind of yell and growl you're fired. And I heard in that, in the tenor of his voice, a level of control Mm -hmm. and superiority that I thought was truly chilling.
1: Yes, absolutely. So I think so. That's my first thing I want to say is I just don't think it's appropriate for him to go after individual Americans like that. Now, the second thing, with it, which is the form and subject of this protest, the fact that he came out and said, well, this isn't about race. What? You went to the Deep South and growled that a black member of the NFL should be fired for protesting racial injustice. And you don't think this is about race? All I mean, I I'm just going to be really honest. I don't understand how people I like can look at this and state so freely and talk so aggressively about these men, these black men. <laughs> they're all, I mean they're they're almost all black NFL players, and just because they're rich and famous doesn't erase the color of their skin. And just the idea that you would. Speak so dismissively of their their protests and what they're protesting, and you can hear, and I think some of this is econ. I do think some of this is economic, but it is, you know, so tied up in race. And you can hear this. What I've heard over and over again, and what he said, and what I hear other people say is, "Know your place." And if you want to tell me it's not about that, that's fine. But that's what I hear.
0: This is the thing that I've been thinking about a lot, and I have some thoughts to share. And I want to ask our listeners for grace as I share these thoughts, because I recognize limitations of my perspective. You know, I'm a white woman, so I can't understand the entirety of the discussion around race. And I might make some mistakes as I talk about this. I don't know how you talk about professional sports in this country without talking about race. Word. And the fact that the way that people become millionaires, I saw all of this discussion on social media over the weekend about how wealthy these folks are and why don't you go canvas neighborhoods or run for office or do something more productive. Listen, I don't think it's any mystery why Black athletes and Black performance artists are where the concentration of wealth for the black community exists Mm
1: -hmm.
0: because they have been disinvited from the other tables that make you millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this over the weekend because I very frequently speak at women's events. We're about to do that again. And I struggle with that. I struggle at women's events. I'm always walking this line of, gosh, how would i feel if men were having an event like this and does it actually diminish women in the eyes of men that we do these events and um i i just spoke at a women's event where at the same time there was in the same community an event going on with the legislative delegation and it felt to me like gosh here are all of the women in the business community at this event and all of the men in the business community are sitting with our legislators not our legislators and i was really Bothered by that. And so I was working my way through how I feel about these events. And what I recognize is I get very few invitations to speak at events that are not women's events. This is the platform that I have. This is the platform that lots of women have. And so we use that platform. The NFL, the NBA, that is the platform available to these men. And they are enormously successful. And yes, they become entrepreneurs and business people and no disrespect and all props to them for doing so. And many of them do contribute enormous sums Mm -hmm. of money to charity and run programs to mentor youth and to make all kinds of positive social change. And the fact that we begrudge them the opportunity to use the most effective forum they have for this protest That really speaks to our biases and the racism that still surrounds all of us. You know, I was a person very early on about Colin Kaepernick who thought, why does he have to do it this way? And then I heard Trevor Noah say, in what way would you be comfortable? Mm -hmm. And that question just stuck with me. And I talked to Chad about this over the weekend. I can't think of a gesture more respectful than kneeling. Yeah. So. I I know that I just kind of did my own version of verbal diarrhea, but I've really been thinking through all those issues and how there is so much going on here. And I think all of that exists somewhere in Donald Trump and produced those remarks.
1: Well, and here's the other thing. <sighs> Not only, you know, my, my friend Ben described it as, I don't see it as disrespect. I see it as it's like an expression of mourning. Yeah. For what you see as a problem in this country. And what makes me so mad that right now I'm tearing up is like, you know, I every time I say the pledge, and I say the pledge a lot now. <laughs> I go to a lot of events and we say it at every single meeting. And I say it a lot. And I always sort of tear up. And at the end I always want to say, Amen. Because it sort of has that feeling, right? And But it's not a gesture to me. It's a decision. It's not, I will stay loyal to this place no matter what. It's, I dedicate my life to making it better. What are we pledging to? What are we showing respect for if a huge proportion of our citizens don't feel like they're treated equally here? Like that's, you know, this has been a flawed experiment from the beginning. The man who wrote, all men are created equal, enslaved his own children. So we have constantly been working toward the improvement of the idea of America. America is not an ethnicity. It is an idea. And we have not gotten it right yet. And if these people kneel because they want to say it's still not right, then I don't have any problem with that because I wanted to always be better. I'm not not a patriotic American because I think, well, we did it, guys. Good job. You know, I'm an American because I think the striving for equality and the striving for a just and fair society is a worthy exercise. And it's an exercise and it's a journey. It's not just this, oh, we're here. And now if you don't agree with us, get the hell out. And I just got to be honest, like you said, like, you know, what would make you comfortable? Because let me tell you something. We seem to be talking out both sides of our mouths. I read this thing on Facebook and it was like, if you voted for a reality star, show star because he's an outsider and not a career politician, please don't tell me that athletes shouldn't voice their political views. And if you voted for him because despite his wealth and comfortable life, he was willing to go out there and be a target and say what's really wrong with the country, please don't tell me that black athletes should shut up and be grateful to be rich. It seems like to me, if you're a white man and you're rich, you can get away with all kinds of issues. People don't throw the fact that you're rich in your face. But if you're a woman or you're a black woman or you're a black man or you're a person of color, then all of a sudden you better, again, know your place and shut up. I mean, this whole deal of like, you should be grateful to this country as black multimillionaires. I don't remember anybody telling Donald Trump he needed to be grateful. Are you freaking kidding me? Like it just, that whole, the, the whole narrative of... Celebrities need to shut up and entertain us, and they're spoiled millionaires. And, you know, it happens with Beyonce. It happens with Kanye. It happens with Oprah. Again, what's the common theme here, everybody? It just drives me insane.
0: So Rich Lowry was on Meet the Press this weekend, and he said, if this is a kneeling versus standing during the national anthem fight, Trump wins every time because America is the most flag-soaked country in the world. And I was thinking about that and about what it means to love your country, and what these rituals mean. I love ritual, too. And the the older I get, the more I love and appreciate ritual. But I think when we decide that kneeling during the national anthem is an act of disrespect to our soldiers and mm. to our country and to one another, we have confused love. With something like whatever the patriotic version of lust is, because if because love of country doesn't mean I get to hoard the country for myself mm-hmm. and use it up. Yep. And that's really what I hear in those rallies. When you talk about the wall, when you do the lock her up bit, all of the, the things happening when the president stands in front of a crowd of people who love him to me, sound like America is mine. America is the narrow definition of what I enjoy. And I will keep this all to myself and I will eat it like cake until there is no more of it. Mm -hmm. And that's not love. No. No. And I, I think about Richard Rohr again, so everybody can drink that we've brought up Richard Rohr in this episode. <laughs> and Sister but, Joan. And Sister Joan, who I imagine she'll be on that list scene too. But, you know, he had an email a couple weeks ago that said people who really genuinely love a person or an institution or an idea are entitled to criticize it. Yep. Because it is an investment in how can this always be better? And I think You know, I I just I fail to understand this is not flag burning. Mm -mm. You know, there are so many forms of protest that I can I can see how it feels disrespectful, but kneeling and still showing up and facing. I can even see a difference between the staying in the locker room versus what Colin Kaepernick did. But I think it's a beautiful thing to drop to one knee, to express that there's still work to do here. And I, I was really touched by seeing the players who chose to stand, put their like, hands on the I arms know. of people who who chose to kneel. That to me looks
1: like America. Well, and because with all due respect, it cost Colin Kaepernick a lot. What does it cost for you to call him and call on Facebook? Absolutely That's right. nothing. That's right. And so if you can't respect what this man sacrificed because he felt like this was so important, and this is what This always, this comes back to any conversation on race in this country. And no matter what the president says, this is a conversation about race. I'm always, always back to this poll that came back. I think it was last year. It was Pew Research Center perceptions of how blacks are treated in the U S very widely by race. You're talking about in dealings with the police, in the courts, when applying for a loan or mortgage in the workplace, in stores or restaurants, and when voting in elections, you've got at least A 30 to 40% divide between what whites think blacks deal with and what blacks are saying they deal with. The idea that as a white person, you understand someone else's experiences better than they do is bananas. And we have got to stop. The idea that you can just blow off what Colin Kaepernick did and what he sacrificed because you think he's just complaining when you don't know what it's like to walk in America with black skin infuriates me It infuriates me in the same way that when men try to tell me what it's like to be a woman, it makes me want to, My head want to spin around backwards. You don't know. Listen to your fellow Americans when they talk, try to understand what they are saying instead of blowing it off because it makes you uncomfortable. Oh, it makes me so mad.
0: It also doesn't take anything away from you to admit that Mm -hmm. the fact that you say here is an experience I don't understand doesn't mean that you don't have experiences that other people don't understand. Right. You know, we don't lose something when we admit what we don't know. We don't lose anything when we say here is a hardship that exists. This is not a competition of hardship, you know, and it's not about relative hardships. Mm -hmm. This is Mm -hmm. just about you stepping aside to say I haven't walked in those shoes. I haven't. And I'm not going to. And that's why I think I, I really struggle with professional sports. Yep. And the the comments that Donald Trump made about football following like getting on this tirade about the, the anthem and Kaepernick were equally troubling. Yeah, because I he talk talked about that. About, too. Can you want to do that now? Yes. He talked about how referees are ruining the game. And what you heard was basically, this should be the Coliseum. These people should get out there and kill each other for sport and I should be entertained by it. And I think that is d- disturbing on a level that I can't even get, you know, as we learn more about what these players are sacrificing in their bodies and minds to play this game, if your reaction is, yeah, I don't want to hear that because it's less entertaining. I don't know how to have a
1: conversation with you. And I really don't want you to be in charge of healthcare policy. I have to say yep. as well. Well, and to say that after a week, when we learned that Aaron Hernandez, who was an NFL player, who I believe killed his wife, killed himself in jail. He was 27 years old and they just confirmed that he had a CTE diagnosis, which is the concussion, um, basically long-term damage to your brain for it caused by concussions to come out and say that after we just learned that it's just so despicable. Okay, so here's where let me just say something. Like this isn't a weird spot for me because let me be clear. I don't like football. I've never liked football. I think it's dangerous. I think it's barbaric. I think that this idea, what really bugged me, another part of this narrative that really bothered me is like, oh, we've brought politics into sports and sports unites us. Bullshit. Sports unites us. Why do you think Beth and I use the analogy of take off your team jerseys when we're talking about getting rid of partisan politics? It's because people act a fool about sports all the time. I remember vividly in college, in psychology, it was like, here's the recipe for riots alcohol plus crowds plus sports. Okay. So this idea that sports is always a force for good. Give me a break. The NFL has huge spouse abuse problems. It has violence problems and it has a concussion problem, mainly that they knew the physical sacrifices and the physical damages and the long-term effects instead of including early death that were coming to these players and they did nothing. And that is despicable. And I won't cry a tear when people don't play football anymore when i had when i got pregnant with griffin and i found out he was a boy people told me all the time what are you going to do when he wants to play football tell him no that's what i'm going to do and i was everybody looked at me like i was crazy but like youth football is down really far and now when i say i would never let my children play football everybody goes yeah me neither so i mean i don't think i think football's best days are behind it i'll be honest the more we learn about concussions and the idea that the president would stand up and say oh yeah just let them kill themselves it needs to be more violent I just, I don't even know what to say about that. Those are human beings. Those are someone's sons making the sacrifice for our entertainment. And it grosses me out. Sorry. I don't
0: disagree with any of that. I mean, I, and and here's the other thing. I think that there's such bitterness about professional athletes because everybody thinks, oh gosh, that would be so much fun. Ugh, no, not, it wouldn't. I don't think that anything about it looks fun. I'm sure nope. there are moments that are great. You know, I'm sure there are great things about being on a team, mm-hmm. and great things like there are in any other workplace. But it's work, and yes. it's brutal work. I was at a Reds game this weekend. We love baseball in our family. My husband and I had our first date at a Reds game. This is why we are obsessed with it, and we take our children, and it's it's awesome. But the Reds are not having a good year. And we were sitting there watching the game. And I said to my husband, can you imagine at this point in the season having to come out here and do this every single day on this team? It's so hot. It's hot. They're they're having a terrible end of the season. It's got to be incredibly depressing. Yeah. There are moments in everyone's professional life where you feel like you're really losing, but you don't have to lose that way. And over, I mean, baseball over and over and over again, it's brutal. And I just think we need to kind of give it a rest with, well, some people get to play forever and I'm going to be jealous and angry about that and also spend all my money supporting it (laughs) because they're not playing. It is work. It is work. And it's work that gets a level of scrutiny that is unimaginable for most of us.
1: And that's what I was going to say. And I think this is true in celebrity culture, but particularly with um, sports stars, which is your community property. And that is not a pleasant experience feeling like other people, you know, getting the sense from people. Cause you get some of this in politics too, that they, that people own you and they have a right to get in your face and tell you what they think. And it's just, it's not pleasant. And I have to believe that they get so much of that. And, you know, look, I'm not, I am not mad at individual people who play football, and people who enjoy football, although I kind of wish we'd kind of all get over it. It's just the institution that just really and the game itself and the NFL and the exploitation of all this for profit really, really fires up my righteous fury, um, deep well that I've got bubbling below the surface. And I just, you know, it just makes me so mad. And I, it's not that I don't think sports can be a force for good. Like I'm not a sports person. It is what it is. I do, however, love sports movies, so I get the emotion behind sports. I just like them highly edited. Um, and I just uh, it just makes me so mad. And, you know, even if you back out the sports angle all of,
0: of all this, which is for everyone emotional, whether you're where you are, Sarah, or whether you're someone who waits for Sunday all week and sits down to watch football all day with pizza, as my husband and his friends have done for a very long time. My Chad friend skips. Elizabeth
1: does do it. They love it. Her husband's name is also Chad. It must be a thing. They make wings. I like to go underneath the wings. I get it. Like it's cool. It's ritual. It's yeah. fun. Chad skips the pizza these days, but still loves it. And you know,
0: I don't get it, but that's fine. I, my remark to him is always like, "Why is unnecessary roughness a penalty in a sport that is nothing but unnecessary roughness?" <laughs> anyway, even if you take the sports angle out, the fact that the president on television is calling people a son of a bitch. Also a problem. Not okay. And Steve Mnuchin was asked about this and whether that was an appropriate comment. And he said, I think the president can use any kind of language that he wants to.
1: No, no, that's not true at all.
0: What? Nope. And there was a replay of this going on on the news this morning when Jane, who is six, walked into my room. And it wasn't just this. They were playing the Rocket Man segment and all of it. And I looked at her and said, Jane... I don't want you to pay any attention to what the president of the United States is saying right now because he is name calling and he is bullying and he is doing all kinds of things that we talk about not doing every day. And she goes, um, some people like him, mom. <laughs> and I said, that is true. Some people like him and we respect him because he is a person and he is the president. But just like I love you when you make mistakes. I can still say i don't like his behavior right now, and i don't, like, but this is an actual discussion I had to have about the President yeah. with a child
1: i mean this this is disturbing so in conclusion, stop attacking individual American citizens for their protest and being a bully kneeling yes, kneeling is a respectful form of protest that you don 't necessarily have to agree with, but when it becomes about When you mix in the accelerants of race and politics and celebrity culture, we've got some really nasty undercurrents here. And all of us post Charlottesville, particularly,
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we are called on to be better than our laws. So talking about this in terms of the first amendment only is not enough, especially those of us who believe in the limitation of the power of government our calling then is to show up with greater respect and kindness and support for people who exercise their, their opportunity to protest. And we need to do that. I'm emotionally exhausted. Well, let's move on then to what's on our minds outside of politics.
1: Earth Breeze eco sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin. So it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children, as young as possible, to do their own laundry. Earth Breeze Sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go, here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And Even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, God, I love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off Earth Breeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. EarthBreeze.com slash pantsuit.
0: Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick and ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, a.k.a. problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves— before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. You got your house, right? I'm guessing that's your thing today.
1: I got a house. I got a house. I'm so excited. Now we still have to have the inspection um, on Wednesday, so hopefully we'll just get all good news. Everything's going to be great, But um, and I've gotten a lot of really good leads on our house. I know some of you listeners out there are like, you know what? I do want to move to Paducah. So you can come by my house. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, Yeah. I'm just so excited. I know that other people do not love packing, but I really do. Now I'm sure there will hit a point where like I'm unpacking and I'm just like, it's like, I'm down to the boring stuff and I'm like, Oh God, kill me now. But for now, Going through stuff, repairing things, getting things out of the way, packing them in boxes, labeling, it's just, oh, it's hitting all my sweet spots. I love it so much. Well,
0: it's got to be cathartic, too, to decide, like, I choose you to join me in my new place or I yes. don't with yes. everything.
1: Yes, that is it. Exactly. Like, we were eating, <laughs> we were eating um, dinner last night and we were eating on the same plasm- placemats that I brought from D.C. that have served us very well. But I said, I will not, take I will not be choosing them. Thank you for your service. Um, I'm gonna release you like Comrie advises to a better life because our journey is through here. Thank you.
0: So, how will it be for you trying to sell your house while you're still living in it
1: with your three boys? It's awful and terrible. So, a friend of mine is very interested <laughs> in our house, and she has to but she has to sell hers first, but she came and looked at it yesterday, and I said, Donna you have to buy my house so I don't kill my children because if I have to do this a lot, uh, somebody is not going to make it to the new house. So no, it's not. It's just, you know, it's like, it's like Lego confetti. Like I don't understand how they get Everywhere. I mean, they literally, I think, build, like, they're, like, walking with the Lego, and they're putting a the guy together, and they're like, I don't want that piece. So they just drop it on the floor. Why do they do that? Oh, no. I oh. I, I
0: see your Legos and raise you Calico Critters. Oh. Because the Calico Critters, if you don't know, are families of very wealthy animals. The Calico <laughs> Critters have summer homes. They have convertibles. They have vacation houses. They have yachts. Oh. These very wealthy animals. And they also come with the tiniest, the tiniest of accessories for all these places. I'm talking about individual pieces of cantaloupe that are the size of a fingernail, of the white of your fingernail. Okay? And that is what my basement becomes anytime the girls decide to play with the calico critters. I find... Teeny tiny letters that go in the mailbox
1: or oh. a fork or a napkin. Or now we have that mirror, in Lego. We have teeny brush. tiny little, teeny tiny little carrots and teeny tiny. Cause I actually every year Lego puts out an advent calendar and there's always like super fun little mini foods and like little mini cell phones and letters. And I steal all those from my collection of miniature real life items made from Legos. So, cause there's not a ton of those in Lego. The Calico
0: Critter stuff, though, because Jane loves Legos, too, and we have all kinds of Lego stuff, but the Calico Critter stuff is thinner. Even the tiny Lego pieces, the the Calico Critter pieces are thin. So I just want to say I feel you on the tiny things everywhere.
1: Why do they do that?
0: Well, I'm excited to hear about your adventures in home selling now and you're moving. Yeah, and we're going to renovate
1: the kitchen. So I'm going to be posting that journey before and afters in progress on the Patreon page. You are full HGTV. I am. I'm like our own personal HGTV, only realistic, not highly edited and minus all the blonde highlights.
0: Well, so I wanted to talk about, not to end on a sad note, but I wanted to talk about the article that you sent me from The New Yorker about people who are involved in ev- in events where someone dies. And the name that this article gives those people is Accidental Killers. And while that sounds horrific, it was very comforting to me to have a name for that. Mm-hmm. As people who've listened to us for a long time know, I was involved in a car accident when I was 17. I was driving a car. A car pulled out in front of me and I hit that car broadside and there was a person asleep in the back of the car who died in the accident. And I'm doing now exactly what the article described, which is that. If you've been involved in something like this, you have this kind of robotic, quick way of describing what happened in Mm. a lot of detail that you apologize for sharing later. And this article just talks about how there are names and support groups and self-help books for all kinds of suffering. And this is a category that just doesn't have that. Mm. And here's the line that really stuck out to me. Well, lots of it did. I was pretty well wrecked after reading it, but also like in a really good way. Like I felt a sense of community that I haven't felt before, but it talked about how being being in this situation is both enormously consequential and totally um random and meaningless. Mm. And it's hard to reckon with having something in your life that's like that. And it just made me think about how there are probably all kinds of other experiences that other people don't understand. That's what I meant when we were talking earlier about how you don't lose something by admitting that you don't understand. And I've gotten all kinds of advice over the years from people to just get over having been in this accident. And that's just not
1: available to me. Can you give me a list of those people so I can punch them in the face? (laughs) Thank you.
0: I mean, it it was just nice, though, to... To read something where I felt like, oh, my gosh, somebody gets this. Other people have been through this and they've experienced it and they have the same struggle that I have. And that doesn't mean that this is worse or better than any other suffering. It just is sitting there in the great um constellation of human experiences. So I appreciated you sending it to me, Sarah, and also for letting me know that it would be a hard read and that I shouldn't just like skim it on my phone at a stoplight or something.
1: Yeah. I need, I need a, um, some sort of, I gave myself I guess a gold medal because usually when I read something that I'm like, Oh my God, this was written for this person. I text it to them and I was like, no, Sarah, patience because I've learned from this recent assessment. I didn't learn this. I already knew it. Patience is not my strong suit, but I thought I took a beat and I thought, no, you should not railroad her with this, with a text message. You should send it in an email. I'm trying to be careful because text message is so easy, but the people you're like interrupting people's days, man. And so I've been really trying to focus on if I have a question and it's not literally like an emergency to email the person. So I emailed it so you could choose when to read it. But I thought, you know, I thought about that, the whole, the use of the word accidental killer. Because that is a very intense way to describe this. But I also think that the biggest mistake we make as human beings is trying to fix someone's suffering instead of trying to just witness it, which is what people really need. Um, When I lost a a baby at 20 weeks, and I just wanted someone to say, like, you know— I was being hard on myself and it's not, I would say to myself, like I had one job to keep this baby alive, and I failed. And it's not like I needed somebody to say that to me, but I needed someone to say like something went wrong. The outcome that we, none of us wanted happened and it's, you know, that sucks. You know what I mean? Like I just, I needed someone to, people try to fix it. People want to say, well, this is why it's not so bad. And this is why it's not your fault. And this is why you shouldn't worry about it. And sometimes you just want to see, I, I always think about when you, when you started talking about the article about how you say people in the hospital, like were lying to you and telling you nobody got hurt and how damaging that was and how that probably amplified your suffering because you just wanted to, I'm yeah, it's like, I can imagine you just wanted someone to say someone died and I'm so sorry. And that was awful. And let's talk about how you can deal with that and move forward or not, or just let's just sit with that for a while. You know, like it's just the drive to fix it is so powerful when really what you just want someone to do is say, This is really terrible. How about I just sit here with you with it?
0: That's exactly it. I've talked about this before. My favorite poem, The Invitation, has this line in it where it says, I want to know if you can be with pain, mine or your own, without moving to hide it or fade it or fix it. Mm. And I have Mm, found that people just can't do that. And I... I understand. I mean, I think that there would be a really harsh reaction by a lot of people in my life to the idea of me as an accidental killer. But that is what happened. Mm-hmm. And I love how in this article, uh, there's a therapist who says, you know, people always focus on it wasn't your fault. And that's crap. Because... Shame and guilt are appropriate reactions to something like this. You are involved in the death of another human being and that person lives with you forever, whether you knew them or not, and whatever the circumstances were. And the other thing that I just want to share, because at some point, you know, car accidents and others, this is not an uncommon thing. There's so many people living this experience. And so I want to share that. When I am told this wasn't my fault, a thing that always pops up into my mind is, what if it had been?
1: Mm, What would you say to me if it had
0: been? And Uh, I would imagine there's an element of that with a miscarriage, too, because, my God, the level of pressure we put on women during their pregnancies to do everything right, to not eat this or go do that, you know, look even if it had been my fault even if i had been texting i wasn't that wasn't even a thing when this happened but whatever the circumstances i i didn't intend this i didn't mean for it to happen mm-hmm. and it did and it was horrible and i need you to love me yeah. regardless
1: well one of my favorite i was just actually talking about this i shared this on the ama that my son disappeared from the pool my two year old just walked right out the gate with like four adults around and for about 20 seconds i thought he drowned and that was really, really horrendous 20 seconds, but he literally just walked out the gate. And I told the guy that was with us in the pool, you know, we were talking about like, this is what they say happens. Kids drown with a bunch of adults around. And I'll never forget this mother on Oprah who said, who had fallen asleep at the wheel and her four children had died. And she was with Dr. Robin. Did you ever see Dr. Robin on yeah. Oprah show? Oh yeah. man, I love Dr. Robin. She was my favorite. Um, She said, look, we all do it. You got caught. We all do it. Name whatever it is: text while driving, driving too sleepy, driving when we we've had too much to drink, not looking at our, not paying attention to our kids when we should have checking. You know, we've all done it. You just got caught. And I think with the baby, you know, what people would say to me, well, it wasn't your fault. And what I really just wanted to scream is you don't know that we don't know what happened and you don't know what caused it. So stop feeding me bullshit that you don't know. You know, like that's what made me so mad was like the idea of like, just staying definitively, well, it's not your fault. Well, with all due respect, my law school analytical brain says, you don't know that you can't, you can't prove a negative. So please stop saying that to me because you don't know if that's true or not. And it just pisses me off. Now it might not, I understand why it would make some people feel better, but it didn't make me feel better because my brain goes, can't prove a negative. You don't really know if it's not your fault or not. And that's not me. That doesn't mean I shouldn't, you know, should just beat myself up about it, but like, just give me a little bit of space to feel sad and to think, what happened and I can't know what happened and how do I move forward with that knowledge?
0: You know, there are two other things that people say a lot about this and um, that I think we could hurt each other less if we didn't say, Um, you know, one of them. And I think that perhaps we're getting better about this with miscarriages um, is you just need to let this go. I, I don't, I don't, Want to be a person who can just let this go. I don't want to be a person who was involved in someone else's death and can just like put that on the shelf as though it's not an important part of my life. Mm -hmm. That's just not who I want to be. I don't want to dwell on it in a way that is debilitating, but I don't think it's unhealthy for that to be a very present, meaningful part of my life experience. And then the other thing that people say a lot in these situations that I find unhelpful I'm losing my thought, my train of thought because I'm
1: getting emotional and i don't do not You're crying and I'm just trying not to like uh, celebrate because that would be wrong in the scenario. But no,
0: it's okay. Um, two big
1: goals, bought a house bought a house, Beth cried <laughs> on the podcast.
0: Oh, what was I gonna say?
1: Well, here, a little come to you because I have something to say about the letting it go. Yeah. I was thinking about well, what you're saying this the analogy I want. And I, because I do think that there is a form of letting go available, but it's like you have to take it in so deeply that it imprints on you permanently. So then you can release and it lets go. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you try to compartmentalize it, if you push it away, it's definitely not going anywhere. That's exactly right. It but lives if, in your body. Yeah. But if you can pull it in and feel it, because the reason we're not comfortable with other people's pain is because then we'll have to feel our own. And so if you can just, you know, when I lost that pregnancy, I mean, I tell, I tell people like, I mean, I dove cause I learned that from labor, you dive right through the middle of it. It's the only way through. And so when I did that, you know. Does it still make me sad that I lost that baby? Yeah, it does. It makes me sad. But am I torn up about it? Do would other people when they I think the sort of outcome that when people say you need to let it go, do I I think I've achieved the outcome people envision when they say that bullish, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so but I did that because I, like I said, because I carry sort of a permanent tattoo. So that's why I can because I, that pain is still accessible to me. I know that it's not going to destroy me because I dealt with it and I still deal with it and I make space for it in my life. You know, the urn that holds my baby's ashes sits on my desk with flowers on it every single day. And I did that purposefully because I don't think, you know, I just don't think it's to push it away It's not even that I think – I just think it doesn't work. It's sort of what I say about spanking. I do it if it works. I do almost anything if I feel like it works, but that doesn't work. So, you know. I think that's right. I'm still working through a lot of that stuff
0: because I didn't deal with it for a long time, and what that meant was – I set at stoplights and could visualize it unfolding again. Mm. And anytime I see a car accident, I have a very physical reaction to that. Hear sirens. You know, those are things that just live with me. I remembered what I was going to say now. The other thing is this idea that everything happens for a reason. Let's just, can we just stop saying that? Let's just Mm. stop saying it because I don't know that it does. Now, what I do believe is that we can make things mean something good mm-hmm. almost always we can grow from what happens almost always but when you say to me everything happens for a reason you are adding to the guilt and shame that i feel
1: yeah yes it's so true because then you're saying like oh yeah you did oh yeah so it was it's like the you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of that um that riff that Ta-Nehisi Coates does in a, um, oh, what's the dang title to the letter to his son? I can't. Oh, between the world and me where he's like, your ancestor was not a brick in your redemptive story. She was a real human being. Like, don't make her part of your narrative. Like that's what that reminds me of. Like, don't make this person some sort of plot in my narrative. That's disgusting. They were a human being. Right. Right. Yeah. That really bothers me. Listen, have you read, um, why good, why bad things happen to good people? No, everybody listening stop what you're doing. Read this book it's It's really popular. It's Rabbi Kushner, his son had a premature aging genetic condition and died very young, and so he like kind of goes through all the different reasons why that is a ludicrous thing to say, why it's problematic, and then kind of goes forward from there. If I had read that book when I was like twenty, I'd have lived a different life like it just it just he just very systematically goes after all of those things and still makes space for. Sort of a loving presence, a loving God, and it's just oh, I cannot recommend that book highly enough. And the other thing I was going to say is that you know how old were you when this happened? Seventeen. So I was seventeen when the shooting happened at my school, and when I went to a therapist for post traumatic stress in my late twenties, she said, you know, you just don't have the tools to deal with it at seventeen. You just do not have the mental capacity. And so the brutality of tragedy as a chi- as a child is that you basically have to reprocess it every once you gain more emotional maturity and stability. So as an adult, you know, with a miscare or with, when I lost the pregnancy, I just was like, well, you know, I had the tools available to me to deal with it. But with the shooting, you know, like I would dealt with it to my little 17 year old capacity. And then about 20, I got smarter and wiser and more mature. And I'm like, oh my God, that thing happened to me. I had to deal with it all over again. And then like 23, I'd be like, Oh, I have this new level of understanding. Now I can deal with it all over again. You know, it's like you're just, you have to reprocess it as you gain more tools, which is why tragedies to children. And it's why, you know, those acute childhood um, experiences, I think, are sort of the 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 center point. And, you know, really, if you trace all the drug addiction and crime and, uh, and violence, all these things come back to acute childhood traumas because you know, there's just so many opportunities as you grow up and have to reprocess these traumas that happen to you for something else to present itself as a way to process it, be it drugs, be it alcohol, um, or just to, you know, if you don't, if you don't ever have the tools, like I, I had pretty good tools at 17, thanks to a good family and a good support system. And that was still an uphill climb. So if you're having an acute childhood trauma and you have abusive parents and you live in poverty and you have no tools at your disposal, then we can all see how the system You know how this process just continues to degrade and degrade and degrade. You know what I mean? I think that's right.
0: And I think that's why there are chapters of my life between about 17 and 25 when I really started doing the work of getting through this that I don't even remember, Mm -hmm. that I have no emotional attachment to at all. Um, relationships where I can see that I just sabotaged them because I was in pain and looking for some kind of validation that I was never going to get that I was okay because I, you know, I had all this guilt about this. So, um, and I don't say any of that asking for any pity, everybody, we are all traumatized by something. Mm -hmm. We are all carrying around stuff. And what was so cathartic for me about this article was just to hear, yes, other people are carrying around this stuff in the same way that you are. You know, there's a sense of belonging in that. But it's not about pity or, again, thinking that I've endured something more or less horrific than anyone else. It's just, I think, good to know that pain can be shared you know and and that people can look at your pain and not try to assess it or fix
1: it just acknowledging it. Well, and I think there's some really interesting cultural exploration for us to do as to why in the face of the internet and in the face of, you know, resources for just about any damn thing that this still remains such a taboo. And I think so much of it is we just don't want to admit it could happen to us and to yeah. talk about someone's pain and to deal with it and to treat this as a reality for many, many people out there I means so we have to admit it could happen to us. I think that's what happened. You, I think a really interesting way to see how we exercised some of this, the the pain and trauma that comes with um accidental deaths is what started to happen when we turned the kids around and people would leave their kids in the car. Right. So we couldn't just say, and I know there are a few like that crazy ass guy in Atlanta who seemed to have done it on purpose, but most of these parents obviously did not want to kill their own children. And so this, but you saw like people really wanted, they wanted a villain. So they didn't have to think, this could happen to me. Like I would always say about these events, like, don't think like I would never do that. Think I could do that because that's how you actually prevent things. That's how you actually deal with it and find a path forward, not just, but that's what we wanted to do, right? We didn't want to think like, oh my God, we've created this huge, this huge risk by turning the car seats around. And how do we deal with this at a culture? We just wanted to make them the bad guys and move on.
0: Well, that's, I mean, a very long conversation, but we just don't like anything that points out our fragility to us yeah. and our vulnerability and how some of those things we can learn from and prevent and some of those things just exist. I mean, we we want our healthcare system to accept us exactly the way we are and ensure that we never suffer in any way. It can't do that. I was thinking over the weekend about and and related to sports, too, like we are working ourselves to death in this country. We could have the perfect healthcare system and we would still be sick and dying at rates that are unprecedented because of our obsession with work. And so but we don't want to deal with any of that, you know. Yep. And I, yep. we don't we don't want to deal with anything that asks us to be in pain or that asks us to be different or that asks us to acknowledge that a whole hell of a lot of what happens to us during our journeys on this earth has nothing to do with us. And that sucks and it's hard, but it's just
1: true. So hi guys, this was a really long episode and <laughs> if you sorry. liked it, this is why we met the Patreon goal because we're going to start doing clearly. I think this is the foot beyond the meeting the goal, which is one sign. This is the uh, other very clear sign that it's time for us to branch out into the nuanced life because shoving it all in. The last segment of the show is becoming problematic, particularly for my husband. Love you, Nicholas. So thank you for joining us for an episode of Soup Politics. We would like to thank our executive producers, Nicholas, Chad, Sabrina, Leslie, and Tracy. And if you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash politics. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at PantSoup Politics. And until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all.